Welcome to the CCF Podcast. We're a campus ministry at Truman State University. This podcast features sermons from our weekly worship services. Thanks for listening. Yeah, so I'm here. And I'm about to talk to you guys. Is that like good or what? Sounds good. All right. Here we go. I am here. I've made it. So, uh, what's up? <laughs> My name is Jonathan Andrews Linsky, as Reed alluded to, but I'm also known as John Z, or Jetski, or Johnski, Johnny Boy, J Mungo, the Monster, the Cannon, the Lightning Bolt, the Funny Guy, the Little Guy, plus a lot more. <laughs> Uh, this is my first time ever really speaking this many serious words to this many people at once, so <laughs> ex- excuse my nerves, you know, if you want to. Um, a long-standing CCF tradition is to show your family for the first time you speak, uh, but I won't be doing that. I think that seems just a little bit tacky. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe that's a hot take. But uh, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> here are seven pictures of me. <laughs> You got me uh, in the forest two times, me in a suit and sunglasses. You got me graduating near some, uh, near some water, me at the dentist, the freshman year me. And so, yeah, that seems to be pretty cool. Um, another, another CCF tradition is to have multiple titles for your testimony or sermon, but I also won't be doing that. I think it's much more effective to create one title that covers everything. So with that being said, this is funny guy, comma, or... <laughs> Times are rough in fifth grade, or griefful joy, or 15-minute grief, or you don't have to be anyone, or a statue sincera, or what are you going to do, cry about it? Yes. (laughs) Part one, the origins of funny guy. (laughs) Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, Set your mind on things above and not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. I think it would be useful to start things off with some simple background about me. This will help you guys, give you guys context to the way I think and how I act and some of the things that I do. <laughs> I grew up in Hannibal, Missouri. I was born and raised in Catholicism, and going to church was a Sunday routine. My family went every, or at least most, Sundays without fail. Uh, Church seemed to me as a Sunday from 10 10 a.m. to 11.30 a.m. on Sunday thing. In other words, God was really only on Sunday for me and was not really a big part of my Monday through Saturday life, at least spiritually. I have four family members, my dad, my mom, and my two older sisters. And I grew up in a loving, supportive, supportive household. But like every family, I'm sure it goes without saying, we had our fair share of ups and downs, and everything was not perfect all the time. Um, but at the end of the day, love always seemed to prevail. I know this to be true, because my sisters and I had a million fights, but I cannot recall one reason as to why we ever fought. It's almost as if those trivial disagreements were no match to the love we had for each other at the end of the day. And at the end of the day, our quarrels would always end eventually, and I'm sorry for blank. And then all was well. Part two, the funny lifestyle. Growing up, though, I often found myself to be the jokester of the family, the funny guy, if you will. 
I'm not sure why I felt this need, but I can think of a few theories. Maybe being the youngest of two older sisters, I felt I was not receiving adequate attention and had to make jokes to make my family notice me, to make them see me. Maybe when times were rough for our family, I felt the need to lighten the mood and make others happy, the need to bring them joy. Maybe because of the love our family had for each other, I felt the need to ignore my own needs so that I could raise my family members up in their time of distress and tried to do so by providing laughter and joy. Or maybe none of this was that deep. Maybe I just like making jokes. I'm not too sure. However, there's one thing I am certain of now, it being this. I would often hide myself. I would make these jokes and not address how I was feeling. I was too busy being concerned about the state of others' emotions that I ignored my own. I would often hide my true self, my emotional self, or parts of myself that were not funny from my family. I would say, no, I can't show them that side of me because that isn't me. I am the funny guy. That's my job. My personality was funny guy or bust, or more accurately, funny guy or hide away until my emotions that weren't joyful or funny went away. But spoiler alert, they never go away. <laughs> On a side note, I don't really like to classify emotions as either positive or negative. I think that emotions should be classified as either comfortable or uncomfortable. To say something is negative implies that we should try to avoid it, and after all, we don't want negative things in our lives. I believe while a lot of emotions are uncomfortable, all of them are necessary in living more fully, and I'd be happy to talk about this more at sermon discussion tomorrow, which I will be at, so that's cool. But anyway, I have lived this lifestyle of joking to avoid for my whole life, all short but forever 23 years of it. The way I grew up has surely affected me in ways I won't and never will truly and fully understand. It affects the way I view my relationships with and to others. It affects why I am motivated to do anything I do, anything I do publicly, whether at CCF or at work or just in the comfort of the Halley Hotel, which is where I live, seems to be based on being the funny guy. At some point, being obsessed with always having to be funny um, transitioned into always needing to have a good or acceptable reputation. I always felt the need to maintain that I was, in fact, the funny guy who could give joy and laughter to others. And if I did this, I would maintain my good reputation. Uh, the more I thought about this, though, maybe it has always been about reputation. Now, I'd like to direct you to a Facebook post from October 4th, 2011, from then 11-year-old, still in fifth grade, John. <laughs> Times are rough in fifth grade. <laughs> Everyone's looking for a girlfriend, and you're the only one who doesn't have one. And then I, then I go on to say, it just gets you a higher reputation. You can tell this is old since I even used the wrong your. <laughs> but then, wise man Danny Norman replies, ain't no such thing as a reputation. Ha. Huh. Well, Danny... There is in my school. <laughs> the funny part was, you know, Danny and I went to the same school, so <laughs> I don't know what I was talking about. <laughs> but all fifth grade John thinks he wants is a good reputation, but if only he knew what that actually meant. All 18th grade John wants is a good reputation, if only he realized how much deeper this desire actually was. All I have cared about all for, or most of my life is maintaining my reputation. 
I have made and still make many sacrifices, whether consciously or unconsciously, to keep up the illusion that I am nothing but the funny guy, while ignoring my non-funny emotions. Part three, the house of joy, yet also mourning. Even through tragedies, one can live this lifestyle for a while, but eventually it will catch up to you. Uh, my family and I have faced our fair share of tragedies in our lives, as has everyone. My dad's father passed away when I was in sixth grade, but I was told in the comfort of my home, and I remember going to my room to privately cry, and eventually I moved on. My uncle Brian passed away unexpectedly in 2017, and my mom's father and mother passed away in July 2018 and January 2019, respectively, only six months apart. But all these tragedies had a common happening for me. I was told at home. I was told with my family present. I was able to learn the news and then go to my room to grieve privately. And as I remember it, I would always try to be there for my family if I could, but when I was overcome inevitably by my own grief, I would go to my room and I would cry alone. But like I've said, you can only get away with this lifestyle for so long. I got away with it for 21 years. We're now in January of 2022, about a year and a half ago. I have been in college for three years at this point and am living mostly my life away from my hometown and away from my family. It was a Friday night. The weekend was being kicked off by the joyful celebration of none other than Hannah Simons, now Hannah Jones's 21st birthday party. And what better place could we celebrate other than the warm comfort of the Halley Hotel? The string lights were on, the music was playing, and everyone was ready to celebrate. Hannah's 21 years of living. And for anyone who knows Hannah Simons, who is such a joyful person, they know that a celebration of her birthday deserves all the joy it can get, and I love being the one who can provide that joy through laughter. I love being the entertainer. It gives me joy to make people laugh and just to be goofy around them. But it was only shortly after everyone had arrived and the party was being kicked off that I received a phone call from my mom. I answered, and my mom asked if I was alone. I told her that I was hanging out with some friends, and she told me I should probably head upstairs to my room. Now, there is no other situation other than tragic news or awful news where that type of request would be appropriate. So as I walked up the stairs to head to my room, I knew deep down what I was about to be told, and my heart began to sink. And sure enough, as I sat down on my couch, my mom informed me that my grandma, my father's mother, had passed away. I teared up as my mom and I began to discuss memories of Grandma Zelensky, memories of going to North Carolina every year for summer vacation, heading to the beach with her and my siblings, memories of nice dinners or going shopping or doing yard work, memory of hers, memories of her taking us kids to see the movie, to the movie theaters to see any movie we wanted, Memories of mini golf, of eating clams, of us kids waiting for her beautiful clock to strike the hour so that we can hear the music it would play and see its mechanical mastery. But eventually that phone call did come to an end and I was left alone in my room. And for the first time, I was left alone with the grief of uh, passing of a loved one. I stared blankly at my piano and TV for maybe 15 minutes, just thinking, while tears slid down both of my cheeks. I am a still crier. But what do I do now? The Halley Hotel had instantly become both a house of joy and a house of mourning. I am mourning the end of a life that I had loved so much and one that gave me and my family so much joy. I'm experiencing the raw emotions of a tragedy. 
but at the same time, we are celebrating another great life, 21 years of life that also deserves so much joy, and I don't want to go downstairs to take away from that joy. But how can I tell them that something awful had happened without putting a damper on the party? The truth is, you can't. And I realized this, but I did not know what to do next. I had always found a way to do my job, even during times of sadness or stress, but this was completely different. I was torn inside between trying to be joyful while also grieving at the same time. And I continued to stare at my TV and piano. Sure, the option of putting my grief aside to rejoin the party was there, but I just could not do that. I could not act like I wasn't filled with grief at this moment because I was filled with grief. And after all, you cannot deal with your grief in just 15 minutes. I remember getting up to go to the bathroom, and as I opened my door, I saw Hannah Gross standing in the hallway. She was coming up to check on me. Apparently, it had been a lot longer than 15 minutes. We made eye contact, and I still had tears on my cheek, and she could tell that I was not joyful. But well, now I have to address what had happened. Can't just tell Hannah Gross I was fine, because clearly I was not. There was no more running. We went back in my room and sat back down on the same couch and looked at the same TV and piano. No one had ever really seen me like this. Emotions, raw emotions that were usually reserved to be seen by an empty room. I didn't even know how to tell her. Crying in front of others had always been uncomfortable to me, but I could not tell her without crying. But eventually I did let it out. But in my torn state of holding back tears of grief and speaking as if I were not full of grief, I began to hyperventilate. But after calming me down, she said, John, just cry. And I did. And it wasn't a still cry this time, though. It was griefful crying. It was my raw, emotional self. Through the tears, I was able to convey to her my crisis of not wanting to go bring my morning downstairs and ruin the party. And I struggled with the idea of trying to let my joyful friends downstairs know that at this moment, I, in fact, was not joyful. My job title of joy bringer seemed not to matter to me anymore. And I told Hannah this, that I felt this way, and, she, and, then she, and then she told me, John, you don't have to be anyone. Just cry. And in that moment, I was no one, and I cried. Part four, the statue of Sincera. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to a house of feasting, for death is the destiny of everyone, and the living should take this to heart. There's a Latin term, sincera, S-I-N-C-E-R-A, which translates to without wax, and it's often used to refer to a statue that is made and displayed without any wax. In sculpting, wax is used to cover up any mistakes or cracks made in the stone while chiseling. The wax does not fix the cracks, it merely just disguises them, and over time, the wax erodes, and you're left with the original cracks or blemish. A statue sincera is a statue without wax, one shown for how it was made regardless of anything else. This is where we get our word sincere from. To be sincere is to be without wax. It is to not disguise. And for so long, I covered up any imperfections in my statue, imperfections coming from my own mistakes or mistakes that were out of my control or maybe even mistakes rather than the fault of others. And for me, a huge crack in my statue was the passing of my grandma, 
but this is accompanied by many small blemishes of maybe friends moving away, friendships ending, bad grades, hurtful words spoken to me, and hurtful words spoken by me. Jokes or goofiness or being the funny guy was the wax I used to cover these up. I used them to avoid my problems and not address them. Problems that would then resurface again and again, and I would always wonder why my wax was not working. So I put on more, thinking the problems would never resurface. But they always resurface. Here's the problem with that, though. When you cover your grief with wax, you lose out on opportunities for growth and connection. The cracks on the statue won't simply disappear. They are just hidden, but still, they are there. Hiding the cracks does not address the problem as to why the crack was made in the first place. The reality of it is the crack was already created and the only thing we can do is address why or how it was made. Otherwise, we will make the same mistake, the same type of crack, over and over and over again and wonder why our wax isn't working. The other part of this is that we lose on, on opportunities to become connected with others. Little did I realize when talking to Hannah Gross that her grandfather had just passed away in the summer of 2021. She knew what I was going through something I would have never have realized had I kept my grief to myself. And I firmly believe that she and I would not be as close as we are today had God not put her in my life at that very moment. Showing her that side of me allowed her to more, more fully understand me. It allowed her to see me more fully. Imagine how silly it would have been for Hannah Gross to try to cheer me up in that moment using jokes. And that is my type of wax jokes, but for others, uh, the wax can take many other forms. You know, take my roommate Paul, for example. Him and I were talking last night, and we're kind of opposites. Paul is more of a somber, but yet still joyful guy. He is fearful because he loves. And I can't count how many times Paul has told me to text me when you're there, or maybe you shouldn't wear tennis shoes on a 10-mile hike. <laughs> By the way, I did wear tennis shoes on the 10-mile hike, and I did roll my ankle, so. <laughs> um... While I avoid my grief with jokes and masked laughter, Paul does so by trying to control all the variables that um, can cause the pain in the first place. In other words, Paul fears the grief in advance so that he can avoid it later. But at the end of the day, Paul knows that he can, cannot control everything. After all, he did let me wear my tennis shoes even though he said I probably shouldn't, and I did roll my ankle, but he did help me the rest of the hike. Paul's fear signals to him what he loves and he loves and appreciates so well. I recount one time when everyone was again in Halley celebrating another birthday party. Laughter filled the house and every, everyone was just having a good time in the living room. And I saw Paul walk downstairs and from the upstairs bedroom and stop at the doorway to the living room and just he just looked at everyone. He simply smiled and nodded and took in the moment. And in this moment, he was not fearful, but he was joyful. Through our grief and joy, we are connected. Through our grief and joy, we see each other. And through this, we can love and live with one another more fully, more sincerely. If you had to hear and remember one thing from this testimony, let it be this. You will never experience the full extent of your joy if you avoid the full extent of your grief. Avoiding your grief allows it to seep into and water down your joyful moments. All emotions are necessary to the human experience. You will never experience the full extent of your joy if you avoid the full extent of your grief. Part five, grief but joy. So with you, now is your time of grief, 
but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away from that joy. This is what Jesus said to his disciples as his impending crucifixion came closer and closer. Notice how he says, now is your time of grief, and not do not grieve at this moment. It is almost as if he knew grief was a necessity to joy. Our grief is grief for a reason. You don't grieve something you never really loved. In fact, you cannot have love without grief. The disciples would not grieve for Jesus had they not already had this great pre-established love for him. Jesus was their friend, their teacher. He was Christ, but now he was going to die. And the more you love something, the more you will grieve the loss of it. But friends, there is good news here. Grief is not forever. Jesus will die, and the disciples, but the disciples will see him again, and they will rejoice, and in that moment, there is nothing that will take away from that joy. But we cannot first have that joy without first having this. Look at what Christ did. There he is, broken, ridden with fractures, there he is with his humanity taken away and his mortality on display. There he is broken and cracked, yet shown, not covered. There is no covering this with wax. This is grief. This is what grief is. But without this, there wouldn't be these. Without the grief of Christ's death, we cannot have the glory of his resurrection. As much as he uses our joy, God uses our grief. Through it, we find opportunities for growth and connections. But when we cover up our mistakes or parts of ourselves, we prevent God from doing the genuine work of sculpting and chiseling. We prevent ourselves from becoming the full and beautiful person he wants us to be. We can't let him work on the actual stone if we keep spattering wax everywhere. We can hide our grief, but we cannot ignore it. It will affect the way we love and experience joy with others. We cannot experience the fullness of our joy if we don't, do not experience the fullness of our grief. So what does that look like for me? For me, it is living more sincerely with my emotions. It's not never joking, but it's not always joking. When it comes to it, I want to choose to feel my grief when it is time. And when the time comes, I want to tell the others that I cannot be joyful right now, for I am grieving. And maybe you're not the entertainer like me, or Mr. Reliable like Paul. Maybe you hide, your, um, maybe you hide behind your ambition, your, your ability to get good grades. Maybe you hide behind your athletic ability. Or maybe your wax is your talents or your intellects, intellect, whatever it is. The point is, we don't have to maintain these reputations. We don't have to be anyone. And that is a beautiful thing. We should strive to live more sincerely, not just to become good people, but so God can work through us more genuinely. Let God work his plan into you, for it is and always will be perfect. Feel your grief, for the time to rejoice will come again. And when it does, there will be no one or nothing that can take away from that joy. Let's pray. God, 
We are griefful yet joyful people. We fear so we can love. We are scared yet we are thrilled. We are nothing and yet we are full of purpose. We are doubtful because we are hopeful. God, help us to feel more sincerely. Help us to not have to be anyone. Help us to cry, but also help us to laugh. Help us to weep, yet rejoice, for you are God. You give us meaning. You give us purpose. And you give us life. Thank you for grief. And thank you for joy.